0: Hello and welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Dr Mark Salter. What is the role of an acute inpatient psychiatric unit? Is it there to provide acute care to very, very sick people? Or is it really there to protect the public? After all, a public that have always viewed the mental ill with a, a history of suspicion and mistrust. Perhaps this problem is most acute in psychiatric intensive care units across the country. And this issue has been addressed in a very interesting editorial in the December 2008 edition of the Bulletin, written by Dr Dominic Beer, Dominic, apart from being a senior lecturer, also runs a PQ in South East London, sorry, a low secure unit. We'll come on to the difference in a minute. Dominic, thanks for coming along and talking to us about your editorial, the full title of which I think is Psychiatric Intensive Care and Low Secure Units, Where Are We Now? Well, where are we?
1: What I was trying to say in the article, uh, thank you Mark, was that when I became a consultant psychiatrist back in the mid-90s, There had been an article in the bulletin itself by um, Tony Zygmunt entitled Special Care Units, Are They Special? Mm. And he was very critical of locked wards in the mental health system of the UK. Why? Um, He said that the staff were brutalised, that that was his word, and that the patients viewed these units as punishment wards. And my own experience... Of the um, taking on a psychiatric intensive care unit was that it was trying to be all things to all people and it was failing it was a very very tough environment because there were many different types of patients and you found that when that was in 1994 now that was when you published a survey of it, one of the early surveys at pq's
0: was it not that's right I wonder if I can just to rewind obviously I don't want to go about On about history too much here. I'd much rather talk about where we are today and where we're going. But can we just rewind back to the sixties and seventies? What was it like back in the old days of the the big asylums?
1: Well, the big asylums, you see, I think, they had patients in wards which were predominantly locked. Yes. And the, if there were district general hospitals, um, the patients there tended to have minor psychiatric conditions. When I was a medical student, we were often shown patients with obsessional-compulsive disorder. Who were inpatients? Who were inpatients. My goodness. Eating
0: disorders. So you're saying then that back in the 60s and 70s, the good old bad old days, the sort of patients that wouldn't go anywhere near an inpatient bed now were just routinely looked after indoors?
1: I think that's the case. And the the more difficult-to-manage patients went to the asylum. Really? Now, one of the other themes that I picked up from the early paragraph of your editorial was this idea that... Open wards are a relatively modern innovation. Is, is that the case? Well, I think that there were some open wards. I think the York Clinic, uh, Guy's Hospital, was quite an open unit back in the 40s. Mm. But it wasn't until the District General Hospital's open psychiatric wards, probably in the, the 70s, that the wards were, were open. But the, the difficult-to-manage patients didn't go to those wards, yes. in my experience.
0: And so, by the time that Tony Zygmunt walked in through the door in 1995, not a lot had changed. By the sound
1: of the, if anything, it had become mm. even hotter and crazier. I think it had become even hotter, definitely, mm-hmm. because when I started as an SHO, I was pretty challenged mm. by the difficulty of the patients on the on the acute wards. Okay. This idea of heat, then, this population that has caused the
0: the, the tension that has become so acute in the modern era, I'd like to focus on that a bit more, because another one of the themes that recurs throughout your editorial, some two or three times, is this notion of the population that now finds themselves in these low, secure, or PQ units. And you seem to identify three populations. Primarily those forensic, who come from special hospitals, prisons, courts, or whatever, the first population. Then there are people who are simply acutely unwell and in need of a relatively short period of acute care. And then a third group, individuals who aren't getting that much better quickly, with severe chronic levels of quite challenging illness and behaviour. Do you think that's a valid distinction?
1: Well, I think there, there are overlaps, but my own experience taking on the intensive care unit in the 90s was trying to manage those three groups in one ward was impossible Uh, is it still impossible it is still impossible and if there are units which are trying to do that then it is an impossible task given the impossibility of managing the forensic population the
0: severe chronic population and the acute population all in one building people clearly have tried to address that issue and for me as a psychiatrist i I don't know about you, but I've been quite impressed by the way that perhaps the Labour government has put its money where its mouth is, more than consecutive mm. governmental promises of good, good intention over the years. And I was fascinated to read in your editorial that the 2002 National Service Framework actually went so far as to stipulate the need for two different services. The PQ, the Psychiatric Intensive Care Unit for Acutely Unwell People, and the LSU, the Low Secure Unit, for, as it were, the more chronically challenging and the forensic cases. Yes. That's great on paper. Do you think we've actually brought that valid distinction
1: into real day-to-day practice? Well, I think broadly we have. The the national survey that Pereira and and Dawson did showed that the low secure units had an average length of stay of about 350 days. Now, just to interrupt you there, the the Pereira-Dalton survey was pretty much using the same
0: methodology as you, what, six years earlier. So Pereira and Dalton was and. 2005, 2006, I think, wasn't it? As far as I know, it was, it was a good 10 years on from your original survey when you went doing the 2006,
1: that's right. But you
0: were asking pretty much the same question, weren't you? Who's in these PQ yes. places? Yes. yes. Had you seen much progress on from what Pereira and Dalton found?
1: I think there is now a pretty clear differentiation between the PQ... And the low secure. Could you say a bit more about that? The, the PQ units, I think they do try to look after people who have got short term behavioural disturbance. They mm. try. I think sometimes there are service cuts or, or mm. shortages which mean that inappropriately placed forensic patients and longer term patients are put on PQs. You say sometimes rather than most of the time? I think, I mean, the survey obviously probably referred to the period of 2004 to five, mm. where the, it did show that the length of stays between the patients in the two units was quite marked. Right. Whether things have... have change for the worse since then, I, I don't know, but there yeah. an, we will be doing another survey. That would be very interesting. I mean, speaking on an informal
0: basis to PQ managing colleagues up and down the land, the impression is that somewhere in the region of 30, 40, sometimes 50% of PQ beds are occupied by people who don't fulfil, I think, the Dominic Beer criteria for acute disturbance. They're there for a long time, they're very often there from prison or court diversion, mm-hmm. and my feeling is that PQs are becoming clogged by a population that might be better off
1: elsewhere. It, it, it could well be becoming a problem. I mean, we founded the National Association for Psychiatric Intensive Care Units mm. and Low Secure Units back in 96, and that was one of our aims, was to make a clear distinction between mm. the two needs, or even the three needs of the different groups of patients.
0: One of the other themes that comes out of your editorial is the way that government reports. First, the um, famous Butler Report of 75, which, as you know, led to the implementation of interim, now called medium-secure units. And then, of course, the famous Reid Report of uh, 93, I think, uh, which advocated the whole concept of court diversion. Mm -hmm. Embedded in these ideas, in these reports, was the fundamental idea that we need to move patients away from the criminal system and into the caring system each report appears to have clogged up <laughs> the facilities available to it but could you say what your, what your view of that is? Well
1: and, uh, although I wasn't around in the, in the mid-70s I think that the Butler report in 75 and the Glancy report in 74 were predominantly very positive because they showed the need for um, care for patients who were not going to be looked after in the asylum Yeah. Um, what then happened was that um, in the 90s, I remember there was a survey done which showed there were only 629 secure beds in the country. God, it's 629. That's including special hospitals? Uh, no, not including special I see. hospitals. So, so medium, medium and, and, and low secure. And low. Right. Um, and that was clearly not enough, given mm. the fact that all the asylums had virtually closed by mm. that time. So I think there was a massive um, section of mental health. Patients who are, whose needs were not being met, yeah. because they needed asylum in in the, in the sort of therapeutic sense of yes. the word. Um, and then I think the Reid report, although it was very noble in its in its in its uh, intention, what it meant was that the general psychiatrists like you and me yeah. were absolutely inundated by patients from prisons. Who needed much longer than a few weeks on an acute ward or intensive care? Right. Ward. I mean, and that I must say, certainly
0: speaking from my point of view as a practitioner in East London, is pretty much the case today. There still seems to be the fact that the adult general services, the PQ beds particularly, are overwhelmed by this forensic load. What do you think is the way forward here?
1: Well, I think um, we, we published with the Department of Health. Standards for these units back in 2002, and they are being slightly revised mm. next early next year. Um, I think that the main uh, main thing is that the, the standard of care, quality of care, needs to be um, excellent yes. in these units. Um, and the college, through the um, Quality Improvement Network, is going to be looking at the low secure yes. and the PQs with that.
0: I'd like to come on to this. I'm glad you mentioned it because that was one of the other very interesting themes coming out of your editorial, exactly addressing this question of what the quality and standard of care is. You talk about the fact that just as we've improved, as it were, the bricks and mortar of the PQ and the low-secure facilities, we need to improve what goes on within those walls. And you allude to the notion of specialist skills that are suited this particular and very challenging environment. Could you say more about what you think, you know, the,
1: the, 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 the very acme of... PQ care is all about? I think the, the, for the PQ wards, um, it's essential that the team um, is multidisciplinary, mm-hmm. including, say, a pharmacist to advise on, on high-dose medication. Also, activity coordinators for, for especially young male patients who you know, need, have got a lot of energy yeah. um, and they need to do things on the ward and not just sit there. And um, even clinical psychology it might well be useful to mm. do some family work. So that that's the peak you do. Yeah. I think even more so with the longer-term group, Yes, they really need, in my experience, a huge amount of work yes. because a lot of them have ne- very negative symptoms of schizophrenia. So they need very, very intensive occupational therapy program. Now, these very
0: intensive facilities, psychology, things to do, occupational therapy,
1: high-dose advice on,
0: on high-dose medication and so on, very often seem to be the things that are lacking in these units, certainly the absence that Zygmunt found when he went in through the door in '94. Do you think we are successfully, you know, actually putting our services along with our bricks and mortar?
1: Well, in NAPICU, the National Association, we've, we've run clinical governance mm. networks and advisory service. And we have seen a lot of improvement, and we give a, a PQ Team of the Year award. And, right. And the st- obviously, one is only seeing the the, the best practice, and one it doesn't necessarily see the the worst practice. But um, a lot of our officers have visited. The hospitals and and units around the the, the country, probably fifty or sixty right. units.
0: Now this national tour obviously gives you a chance to give you know what is a bird's eye view of things across the country. Do you see much difference between rural
1: services and urban services? I think one does. Yes, I mean especially London. I think London is is generally in in. It's generally a very difficult place yeah, to I mean Sometimes I think you forgive be if you London is one big serious incident,
0: really. Yeah, it seems I mean, that it, way it,
1: sometimes. It's, it's really, it is extremely challenging because there's so many social problems yeah. and um, asylum seekers and substance misuse where the, the mental health workers are really being asked to, to go beyond their yes. usual remit and training to That's, that's to interesting. Help people.
0: Because I think one of the take-home messages for psychiatry from most of the mid to late 90s, of course, was the, the astonishing frequency of so-called serious incidents. Christopher Clunis, Buchanan, Silcock. There was a period when there was hardly a week went by without a fresh horror story hitting the headlines and with it the Today programme. And I think that is very much, um, you know, as it were... Driven the risk agenda for the government. I mean, look at the new mm. Mental Health Act. Mm. But do you think that this 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 clogging of the PQ beds with forensic services is in part driven by the the government's obsession with
1: risk, or society's obsession with psychiatric risk? Yes, I mean I think the, the media is very very powerful mm. because if one thinks about it, there was an article in the, in the British Journal of Psychiatry which showed the actual rate of homicide by mentally ill patients had declined over fifty years. Um, but whenever there is uh, an unfortunate murder, um, then the media report it probably four mm. or five times or four or five junctures. It's a bit of a bean feast for yeah. the Today programme, really, I think isn't that's
0: it? that's right. I, I'm sure you were mentioning earlier that you, might, you caught the Louis Appleby interview with John Humphreys. Yes. Now, this brings us specifically back to this notion of escapes. Mm. <laughs> I use that mm. word advisedly, escapes mm. from low secure. Listening to that programme, which... I think was on the Today programme on the 9th of September 2008 and the the famous 10 past 8 grilling that John Humphreys gives people Uh, this whole story was hung on an escape from a low secure unit and you couldn't help thinking, listening to the programme, that as far as the public or John Humphreys were concerned the LSU was a prison what was your view on that?
1: Yes, well I suppose firstly there is is a, a problem in the sense that as I think um, Louis Appleby mentioned, and, and I think Sue Bailey the next day on the Today programme, low secure units have evolved piecemeal yes. at the local level. So they do vary in their, their building design and their security level and their intake of patients. And so I think that we've in the association we've been, tr- we've been trying to formulate clear standards, and I think there will be f- further clarity s- soon from the department um and i think the unit in question which was being discussed on the today programme was actually a private unit which was run by a charity so it was in fact probably even less yes. um, mainstream than than the ones that that we have contact with
0: but the general impression appears to be that A walls from low secure or medium secure, or PQs come to that, are simply unacceptable. They seem to be regarded in much the same way as an escape from prison, a jailbreak almost. I mean,
1: do you think that's fair? I mean, are you a thought policeman? No, I, I think there's an, a great need for clarity of nomenclature here because an escape really should mean an escape from the physical perimeter mm. fabric of the building. I think the other... Definitions like absconding or going a while or absent without leave, non-return from leave, these tend to be when the, the patient is, is already escorted, or unescorted in the locality, and is being prepared for the community and yes. under strict risk risk assessment and management guidelines. Do you think that's a point that as psychiatrists we make clearly enough to the general public? No, I don't. I don't think. I, I think it because it is very difficult to get this across yes. the difference between escape Why? and abscond. I don't know. I was talking to somebody in the Department of Health last week and I was encouraging clarity on this Mm. in in, in the document that was about to be published and he said he's he's finding it very difficult. See, my hunch is it's good old-fashioned fear of the mentally ill, You
0: know, an idea that's been 200,000 years in the making and it ain't going to go away overnight, which of course leaves us with a problem if we're running locked wards that the public will continue to see as being primarily there for the purpose of public protection. Certainly, in the view the media give us. What do you think is the way forward? You've talked about improving availability of skills, about you know rigorous attention national level to standards and services. Do you think there are other things that we can do?
1: Well, I think that the college's fair deal um, campaign, on top of the anti-stigma campaign, I think these are, these kinds of, of um, ventures are, are crucial because, as I've said, I think it's the, it's currently the media even more than the government, which is driving this fear of the mentally ill mm. escaping. Well, it's a vote um, winner, isn't it? Safe, sound and supportive yes. mental health act. But it, I, think, I think it was Sue Bailey who said in her interview that the mentally ill suffer just as much as patients who have cancer. Mm. Um, and so they should, be, um, they should have our sympathy and our, and our care and, and excellence of care. You know, should be aspired to for this group. Well, that's interesting because as, as that suggests that the lot of the psychiatric intensive care
0: unit worker and the person, unfortunately, to find himself or herself occasionally on a section inside that place, that lot is ultimately going to improve when we get around to persuading Joe public that they have a little less to fear, perhaps, than they realise from the mentally ill. Well, I think on that point, <laughs> that possibly unachievable point, we'll end there. Dominic, thank you very much for speaking to me. Thank you.